Welcome back to Presidents in Politics. I am one of your hosts, Professor Kayla McGee, joined by my fellow co-hosts, former Congressman Ross. Good morning. Uh, we're going to talk about Rutherford B. Hayes this morning. And as you and I were discussing before this began, there's not a whole lot to say about him. However, he lives in some very interesting times. Known as his fraudulency because of how he got elected. And, you know, right. this is why this is so important. We probably won't say much about Rutherford B. Hayes' tenure as president of the United States. But how he got into office and what transpired thereafter is such a foundational part of American history that mm. we need to learn from it because we just experienced it yes. in 2020. Yes. And I think that's where, you know, these these podcasts really come into play. Yes, Rutherford B. Hayes was a good man. He was. He was a good man. He was a solid dude. He wasn't a great man, as, in, 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 as <laughs> no. your definition would allow. <laughs> no. But he also, you know, he kind of backdoored himself into becoming the nominee for president. Mm -hmm. And, well, we'll get into the election, but yeah, a good man. We'll yes. start off by saying another a good man. O, um, another Ohio-born president. Yes, which there's been several. I remember reading his biography years ago, and this just stuck out to me that you his, read Rutherford B. Hayes's. I biography? did. Yeah, this is what happens when you're you know you're a history nerd. Wow. Is, believe it or not. Um, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to read it again. That was a one-time read. Um, but in this, something that really stuck out to me, I'll, I'll never forget, it's just very comical, is that when he was delivered, when he was born in Ohio, that his parents paid a $3.50 medical bill for his delivery. Wow. I'd wow. be nice if that was the case yeah, in today's no time, kidding. wasn't it? But it's just, that's, you and I were talking about this ahead of time, but it's so interesting as we look at the difference between life in America in the 1800s and then life in America today. Oh, yeah. And one of them, you and I were discussing this before, was just, was just the freedom aspect, the lack of bureaucracy, and the human index freedom was so much higher in America before we had um, so much big government that stepped in. That's um, true. And there's been multiple, I, I love this podcast, because we'll keep getting into this as more. Uh, yeah, well, we will, we will chronicle the growth yes. of government throughout this whole entire podcast. I, I mean, I love Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt kind of starts the ball rolling. Yeah. Uh, and some of it was needed. I mean, you needed to have an FDA, right? You need to make sure you're not eating rat meat when you right. say it's hamburger. And you needed to have a work, you know, a labor, labor and, control board. And you and probably needed to, to bust unions. I mean, yes. like, Trust. I mean, these, these things were, were good. And then we fast forward to Franklin D. Roosevelt and the New Deal and Lyndon B. Johnson, the Great Society, and then Obama, yes. and even the Patriot Act under, under, under oh, George W. Bush. Yes. Um, and you can see the, the, the expansion, the outreach of the government just growing, growing, growing. And I guess we're kind of going to hit the snowball effect getting pretty soon here. We've been through a lot of the, yeah. the, the freedom of America, and we're about to start hitting those major wars, starting with World War One, World War Two, right. Vietnam, Korea. Where Korea, government Vietnam, becomes the solution. Where government becomes the solution. Of course, the Great Depression, all these different aspects, and you're going to begin to see this thing start rolling, and it's rolling so fast. Now you have to ask yourself, can we catch it before it gets yeah, that's too a much bigger? Question. You can try to unwind to, it. But that's why we need to learn from, from, that is. from our history, especially Rutherford B. Hayes. Absolutely. A guy who, who you know, was a, was a great lawyer, you know, married a wonderful— Actually, his wife was the first first lady yes. ever to have a, a college degree. That's right. She went to college. Yes. First uh, lady to do that was an amazing woman. One of the things I, I got caught up in this week when I went back and was just researching a lot was reading the letters between Rutherford B. Hayes and, and his wife, Lucy. Um, and she was an amazing woman. Um, yeah. She was called. She had two uh, beloved nicknames. One was Lemonade Lucy, because she did not allow any alcohol in the White House. She worked for the Temperance Union, did yes, not want did. alcohol in the White House at all. So her her um, detractors, in kind of a mocking way, called her Lemonade Lucy because they were so mad that she would not allow booze 
uh, in the White House. And then her other nickname was they would call her Mother Lucy because she was saintly in her work with veterans. Yes. She loved working with Civil War veterans. She would often actually go and accompany uh, Rutherford B. Hayes in the Civil War on the, on the outskirts of the camps, which was right. not uncommon in the Revolutionary War and in the Civil War. True, the Civil War is the last time you really see this. Um, of course, modern warfare changed that War One, the Great War, which will take place, you know, what, uh, what are we looking at? Roughly 80 years from now. At that point, war really changes, and you don't have, you know, women and children falling on the, the camps of war anymore. Aerial true. warfare changed that, right? You can't have bombing raids and have kids on the outskirts of, of camps. <laughs> so, but up until this point, you see her work during the Civil War actually going around with Rutherford B. Hayes, and she's writing him letters, and she's got this, this what's the word we can use? Moxie? Yes. This gumption about yeah. her. Um, Confidence. I, yes. And she is, she's, a, she's a very godly woman. Very, very, very she godly is. woman. But she would talk about the fact that she so disdained the enemy that she felt less than Christian because she basically didn't want to forgive them. And it's just it, her, her letters are very interesting wow. as you read through. Um, and I'm sure she was a powerful influence on, on, uh, she was. on, on Hayes. You know, he, um, <clears throat> he served in the, in, in the Civil War. Yes. In fact, he was nominated for Congress when he was serving in the Civil War. That's correct. And refused to campaign because he said anybody who would leave this fit to, to be in this post and, and, and leave it to electioneer uh, ought to be scalped. Yes. Or something to that yes, effect. Yes, I remember reading that, and, yes. And, 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 uh, and then he was elected to Congress mm-hmm. where he served for, he got a second term, then he, he, he left to go become, run for governor yes. of Ohio and was elected and elected again. Um, and then... No more politics. That's what he said. That's what he said. Mm-hmm. And then they convinced him to run for Congress again, and he lost. <laughs> so he goes and runs for governor again and wins. Yes. And then comes the election of 1876. Oh, my Lord. And, and it's interesting because, you know, he's, 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 he's known as a governor in Ohio. Uh, he is, he's, he's, he's a Republican. Mm-hmm. And there's this movement afoot that wants to continue to grant to have a third term. Yes. And, and they're split amongst the others, and he gets the nomination. Mm-hmm. Which mm-hmm. is amazing, mm-hmm. uh, and kind of you know back back, back doors into that 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 that, that uh, nomination. And had and, Grant not had such corruption in his cabinet, Grant true. would have had a third term. There's no I, question. I, I like he was he was so popular, and he was. And we talked about this on, on last week's podcast. He was a man without without guile. He was such an, an innocent, godly man himself. Yes. But he surrounded himself his night his naive. Yeah, nature. he trusted way too much. He yeah. trusted and didn't verify he would. No. <laughs> and his his own cabinet, his own staff yeah. was the death of him. I and mean, do we do we not see that a lot? Where just Absolutely. the people around you uh, many times are are more of a headache than Absolutely. And and you see that in 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 the, in the work of Grant. Going back to to Hayes though, his, his Civil War career is actually pretty distinguished. He's in something. Yes. I wrote this down. It was something amazing. How many um, conflicts? How many engagements he was in? Um, but anyway, in the midst of oh, over 50 engagements, he was involved in over 50 I did not engagements. That. Wow. He has four horses shot off underneath him. Uh, one of the stories when I'm reading his biography is that he, at, at one point he's commanding, uh, I think he's next to, to Vicksburg, I want to say. I don't remember what exact battle this was. He gets shot in the left arm, and he's he's bleeding from his left arm. He's actually feeling faint and woozy from much blood he's lost, but he still will not refuse to give up command. He still stays in command, and he still is ordering troops very clear-headed and ends up winning the battle, actually. And the whole time, he's, he's basically bleeding out in his left arm. So Amazing. just... He was very calm and quiet, almost unassuming. Yes. He's not a Jackson. No, he's not a Jackson. <laughs> he's not, not that bull, brash. Yeah. He's just this unassuming kind of chill dude. Yes. And, and I think that's what got him into, in, in, into the presidency. Well, no. 
What got him into the presidency <laughs> was the backroom politics. Was the backroom politics. And we need to talk about that. We do. Because the we election do. of 1876 really is the first time we test the Constitution, the Electoral Agreed. College. And Agreed. it's to it's, it's set the backdrop for you. 1876, the election, it's between Hayes and, and, and Tilden from mm-hmm. New York. Tilden, He's a Democrat. Yeah, Tilden has a quarter of a million uh, more popular votes at the That's end right. of the election. Okay, now the election's in November of mm-hmm. 1876. He has 184, Tilden has 184 electoral votes. Only needs one more That's right. to be president. And uh, um, Louisiana, Louisiana, South Carolina, and Florida. And of course, Florida. Of course, of course, Florida. Of course, they're, Florida. They're, having, they're, they're arguing over who's, who, you know, who, who should we take the uh, our slate of electors or their slate of electors? <laughs> and so they submit both slates of electors up there. That's 19. Mm-hmm. But yet Oregon has one mm-hmm. where they, they, they because the, he's a Republican elector, but he's also a constitutional officer. And so they disqualify him. And mm-hmm. so they have to put in a one. So they got 20 electoral votes that are up in the air. In 1876, to elect the president, that if if Hayes gets all of them, he's president by one electoral vote. Yes, by 185 one to 184 exactly. is what it would be. And so they go into this protracted. It was close to having another civil war. Yes, it was. And Hayes thought he lost. He Hayes, goes to he, bed. Yes, and he, he even, yes. He even told some reporters first, "I lost. Have a nice night." He goes to bed. The Republicans, well, they don't, there's no phone yet, but the Republicans get a hold of him. They're like, "Stop telling people you lost. We're going to win this thing." Oh, and they send. They, but what's interesting is they send their their proxies down. Yes. To start recount. You know, they got the Democrats. It's, it reminded me. Of 2000, 2000 Florida. Florida all over you again. Know, you, you, yes. you send your your troops down there. I say troops. You know, <laughs> your, your your political operatives down there. You can probably say troops. Yeah. And 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 it's it, this is we're living this mm-hmm. again, but we don't understand how significant it was 144 years ago yes. when we first exposed the, the the fragility, if you will, of our constitution to the election process. I mean, as a result of this, and 10 years later, they had the Election Control Act. That's right. But but election electoral count act. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. Uh, but this is a great challenge to our constitution because we don't know who the president is. That's right. For nearly three months, mm-hmm. from November until March second, mm-hmm. that's correct. We don't know who the president is in the United States, and people are scared. And the vice president had had passed away the year before, right. so he couldn't be the one to preside to count the votes. That's right. And here we are. So what's going to happen? And that's where they come up with this electoral commission. Yes, which is eight Republicans. Seven Democrats, and then when everything is voted, it goes party line. Oh yeah, eight Republicans. But it was supposed seven to be Democrats. seven, seven, and one independent. That's and correct. The independent was, I believe, his name was Justice David Davis. That's yes. And 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 so the, he gets offered a position to go to the Senate. So that leaves an open position. He gets offered. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This whole thing, you know, it's, it's like, oh, we, we, we didn't invent, you know, uh, corruption until <laughs> you know the 1960s and 70s. You know, well, no, it's been no, it's been around. around. And so they then appoint a Republican justice <laughs> to be the independent justice. And you're right. Everything is along party lines. Yes. But but they also call it the Great Compromise or the Compromise of 1877 yep. because what happens – and this, is, this unfortunately becomes Hayes' legacy. Yes. It's because of this deal to get him to be president. He ends Reconstruction at the expense of the African-American population in the South. That's correct. And that's where things started to deteriorate until probably even still some of the leftovers today. Yes. Because what happens is is that in order to become president, Hayes agrees to remove the federal troops in the South. Specifically in Florida and South Carolina right. and I believe it's Louisiana. I think it was yes. the three contested states. But Florida actually was kind of the, the chief of this. Yes. And so what then – you know, 
Grant was was offering African Americans control. This the Republicans were in control. Yes. It's so it's so interesting because the Republicans were the ones for civil rights back yeah, then. They were the minority party. Yes. And today, you know, the the, the Democrats get credited for being civil rights. I, I mean, the, the labels go back into. Let's so just true. we got to understand that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the character of the person that you look at. That's but what's interesting is that when we have this election, when what's going on is this deal being made that then transforms not only Rutherford B. Hayes' legacy, but the course of American history. That's correct. It gives rise to the Jim Crow laws. It gives rise to segregation at a greater degree. You know, it prohibits uh, African-Americans from having poll taxes, literacy tests, things of that nature, in order to be able to vote. And so the Democrats then control now the Southern legislature. The sturdy South, the solid South. And you won't see an end of that until the civil rights movement of the 60s. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr., Rosa Parks, all these great American heroes were really causing into that. And and I always tell my students in class, a lot of that was birthed out of the American military in World War II, specifically groups like the Tuskegee Airmen and others who came in as African-Americans and said, we can actually do this job as well. And and in many ways, actually did it better if you look at the the track record of the Tuskegee Airmen. And they actually were able to prove that. And when they come out of the military, then you have this great civil rights movement of the 60s. But like you said, these, these implications will last for almost 100 years. Yes. Yes, and that's why I think that we have to understand history. <laughs> yes, you know what happened in 2020 was not an anomaly. It no. has happened in American history before, and and what happened on January 6th was a devastating, terrible black eye. Mm. It was awful on the United States, but we have had this before, and and as a result, you know they had the Electoral Count Act of 1876. They just had the Reform Act that was passed two years ago to to make sure that we. We understand how we can resolve these differences. But again, imagine being three months without knowing who president is, who the president is. Oh, my goodness. Could we withstand that today? Probably not. Not with social media. No. I think that's one of the major differences. Yeah. So when you look at this time period and it's newspapers writing back and forth, but can you imagine if there had been a Twitter, if there had been Facebook, if there had been a live social media feed and people in the South are down here saying, oh, go, you know, go against Hayes and people in the North. Can you, can you imagine that would have become very volatile yes. very quickly? I believe in many ways social media has become the catalyst to these radical natures of politics. I think you're right. And imagine, too, if you if they'd had that social media back then, the atrocities that were occurring to the, the African-Americans in the South would have been exposed. That's true. Would probably w- should not have been tolerated. That's true. And and that may have expedited, you know, a, a, a quicker civil rights uh, movement. That's a great way. I had never thought of that. That's that's an outstanding but way of looking it's, at it's, that. It's it's it's. it's I wish we go back. I wish we. I wish we were teaching this. It's like, okay, what happened in 2020 is bad. The election was stolen. Well, they said that in 1876 too. Okay, and they said that with Adams and Jefferson too. When we're just a few elections in. So that's one thing that I love about history. We can constantly remind individuals our government, our system of government can survive this. It has survived this, and we've thrived through it. We need to remind people one thing I think we fall into is the good old days trap. It was so great before, and there's this, there's this progressive slide downhill. American history is actually like a roller coaster. It's ups it and downs. Now, have we been in a down? We've been in a really far down. Absolutely. But we can go up again, too. We don't have to just keep riding it down. There is not weakness in the Constitution. It is the resiliency of the American people That's to make good. the difference. Because we have the game plan. We have the Constitution that has withstood so much over 200 and, what, 20 40 years, it is the resilience. Can the American people be resilient enough to work through it? Mm. And, and and we saw that stress 10 years after a civil war. Yes. And we saw it again, you know, uh, right after that when we had the, the, the presidential elections that succeeded yes. Hayes and, and, and we, we had it challenged again. That's why they did the electoral 
um, uh, Count Act. They knew they had to address it, and they did because they had the framework That's to right. do that. They had the Constitution. That's right. And we went through it again in 2020. We will get through it again in 2024. And in the Compromise of 1877, one thing that's interesting, just in case our readers don't have a lot of background in, in, in history, is that there is no official document. Nothing was written down. It was a secret meeting. It's true. And it was held in the Wormley Hotel in Washington, D.C. Is that still in D.C.? I don't think so. I don't, I don't think, think so. I mean, I've, yeah. I've been to D.C. a few times. I never, I didn't know if, if that was I'm not familiar a, with it. And, and ironically enough, the Wormley Hotel was owned by the most affluent African-American in D.C. His name was Wormley. And he actually hosts the summit. And it's actually really going to be the demise of, of his people. Yeah, it is. In the South, it's very interesting that that, that takes place. But Wormley uh, hosts this in the Wormley Hotel uh, in the D.C., and there's this secret commission that it comes together of Republicans and Democrats. And they meet together. Nothing's recorded. It's like, you know, it's like CIA stuff. Yeah. Nothing's recorded. And when they leave, the Democrats agree to recognize Hayes as president, and the Republicans agree to remove troops from the South. So one thing I always wonder as a historian is how much of this compromise was Hayes actually aware of? Because Hayes isn't president yet. That's true. He, he, yeah, he does a letter, I think his acceptance letter, where he outlines what he would do if he were president, and he sticks to that. Mm -hmm. But understand also that the Congress is controlled by the Democrats. That's correct. So so here they are. The, the Congress is essentially, as Democrats, agreeing to allow for a Republican president. That's correct. I mean, I wonder if that would happen today. I wonder if our extremes would allow that to happen today. I don't know. You know? And ironically enough, like you said, we're 10 years post-Civil War. Yes. The Democrat Party was the rebelling party. A lot of America is terrified to have a Democrat president sit in the House when he was literally a part of the party that was the guerrilla warfare party. This is one reason I don't want him in the office. Right. And it's ironic that already the Democrats have control of Congress again, and they're less than a decade out from causing the civil war in the first place. So politics are weird. Well, yeah, and, and, and Grant hadn't had his problems with True. corruption. You know, a lot of that is reactionary, right? It's, it's the pendulum reactionary. swing. Yes, we saw that. We see that happen, you know, probably every 10 years, um, at least today, I mean, you know. Um, <laughs> But Rutherford B. Hayes, he he was very good about women's rights. You know, he, yes, he was. He uh, I think he 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 took away the prohibitions for women to argue cases in federal courts, That's correct. Uh, and and including the Supreme Court. Uh, that probably was an influence by his wife. You know, he he meant well. I think he honestly did. I, I do too. I just, you know, you get so caught up in the political arena that you sometimes forget that there are powers that you have employed that control you more than you control yourself. Mm, which that's goes well back said. To, well, it goes back to what you were saying about your cabinet. You know, you you appoint people to do certain things and you delegate to them and then they turn on you or they do things that, that, that are contrary to what your policies mm. are. And how do you control that? You know, I, it's a very difficult thing in the political arena. I remember a mentor one time told me, he said, look at your your three closest best friends and how you view them. And that's how people view you. Wow. And that's an interesting thought. And maybe you could take that over to the political side. Look at those who are closest to you in advising roles. And that's probably how the outside world views you politically. That's true. That's true. I would say the only anomaly of that is Lincoln. Lincoln had this unique ability. He could work with everyone across every aisle and still just and like— I think it was his humor that allowed him I to think do so, that. too. I, I really just, do. I, yeah. I mean, I'm from an Irish family, and we use humor for everything. Good. And there is there is power in, in humor. There really is. To be able to overcome ad adversity, there is there is real power in humor. And to be able to, to turn a situation. Um, yeah, Reagan was a master of that. Brilliant. 
Brilliant, Reagan man. was his his really famous, and, and I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself by several presidents. But it's his really famous. Um, is it is it Mondale? He, he's he's running against. Oh yeah. When they begin to bring the age question oh, yeah. up, and you're so much that. older, so much older, and uh, they are you going to make an age part of this campaign? And, and, and he just completely diffuses it when he says, "I will not bring up the inexperience yes. and youth of of, of, of my, my competitor, opponent. Yeah, my yeah. opponent, uh, in, into this race." And you can just see the diff- that humor. He yeah. was just very, very powerful. And that, that turned it for him, even though he was doing very well at the time. And you have to ask yourself, when was the last president we had that could actually use humor appropriately? It's, I agree. It's been a long time. Now, we one of the things, it. another black eye that he has, I'm not sure how familiar you are with this or not, is, is the Great Railroad Strike in yes. 1877. Okay, you are familiar with this. So the Great Railroad Strike, I always spend a lot of time with my history classes because this is during the Gilded Age, mm-hmm. right, when we see wealth. Yep. Uh, so we talk a lot about wealth distribution in today's time. You need to, our listeners understand how bad wealth distribution was during the Gilded Age. Ninety percent of the wealth was owned by ten percent of the population. So I mean, it was it was it was very bad. And, and one thing I find interesting with this, because I'm I'm an Adam Smith guy, I'm a I'm a, I'm a free, free market, market guy, guy yeah. very big free market guy, is that the more we see the government get control of the economy, I believe the greater you see the the inequity of wealth, right? So this is post Civil War. Absolutely. This is a time when the federal government has grown more than ever has grown before. The federal government government takes control of more industries than it's ever taken, and the wealth gap flourishes. Um, and what's interesting, if you just, and I'm not a, I'm not a, a professionally trained uh, economic teacher. I have taught political economics, but that's just, that's as far as I go. It was an Adam Smith class. You know, I don't spend a lot of time, I'm not professionally trained as macro, micro, so by I any am. means. But one thing that I find interesting is that if you look at the trend of economics, as America became freer again during the, the conservative rise, you saw that economic wealth gap begin to actually lessen. Right. And then actually we have seen it widened more than we ever have since the government rise during the pandemic, during all these these issues that we've had post-2020. We're actually back now where we're, we're 69% of the wealth is owned by 10% of the population. So we're actually getting closer back to the Gilded Age. And, and I would say, and I think everyone with any common sense would agree, we have more government regulation on wealth Absolutely. than we've ever had before. And what you see is this inverse reaction in American politics that the more the government takes control of of regulating wealth, the further part that that pay disparity becomes. Oh, yeah. And they pick winners and losers. I remember when I was in Congress and, and we, I was on the Financial Services Committee and we got the too big to fail. You know, <laughs> and so I, I look at my, I, I remember having um, uh, discussions with um, people from the FDIC and and the Fed testifying before us, and I said, "So, w- w- you know, uh, uh, Bank of America is too big to fail. So we're gonna we're gonna make sure they do not go under. But yet, this regional bank over Good. here, what is their business plan? Their Good. business plan is to grow, knowing that they could fail. But their 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 hope is then that B- Bank of America acquires them, so that then they don't get lost, and you be, you create a conglomerate banking. You have monopolies you know, all over. Again. Yes, and it's right. That's because of government's involvement. Yes, and it's it's." We see this growing. In fact, in, in Hayes, he creates, he really starts to create or at least perfect the civil service. Yes, he does. Uh, you know, he goes after patronage. Mm-hmm. In fact, he, he goes after Chester A. Arthur, who yes. eventually becomes president. That's correct. And has him removed as the uh, uh, the, the, the collector of the New York port uh, because <laughs> it was a patronage job and he didn't go through the, the civil service. And, and, you know, again, you're creating more government. You're, you're creating a way of getting involved with government. I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying that it has to be controlled and moderated. Yes. And, and where government has grown to the level it has today, I don't know how you keep it under control. I don't know if you can keep it under control. It, it becomes 
the one thing I always tell, I told my students when I, when I taught political uh, economy, which honestly is one of my, it's not my area, but, but when, I, when I taught that area, one of my least favorite classes, but there's some really interesting things, is that sometimes a monopoly can get so big that you can't get control of it. Um, and I always tell my students, think about the fact that if one cell phone company owned all of the cell phone towers and all of the satellites and all of the hardware and all of the industry, at what point can a competitor break into the market? Yeah, they can. You can't. It becomes no. a point where the monopoly becomes so large it's impossible yeah. to break into. And, and this is one of the things that we saw take taking place with the railroad system in the 1800s is there's this, this massive monopoly happening. And Hayes, although he tries civil service reform, he really stands on the side of the railroad multiple times. Um, and one of the reasons why, financial backing. Yeah. And don't we say it with politics? Like the railroad was one of the largest. The railroad had their own private police force, the Pinkertons, basically did whatever they wanted yeah. to, but they financed the majority of politicians. So they ran the country in a lot of ways. Um, the railroad was built off the backs of two major minorities that were exploited, the, the, the Asian Americans, specifically Chinese, right. which Hayes did try to do some things to help this, but then he also helped sign in some acts to keep Chinese individuals from coming into America. So he's very yes, very off on this. And then the other demographic were, were Irish. It was, it, was, it was ancestors of those of us of Irish descent. Yeah. Um, it was said that under every mile of railroad, there was a Mick, which means son of, and, and Gale, was, there was a Mick buried. So the, the Irish and the Chinese were exploited heavily to build these rail systems. And it led to this great railroad strike of 1877 where the mobs began to grow. And it happens in Baltimore because the B&O right. Railroad, Baltimore, Ohio Railroad, right where, um, right where he's from, right? Ohio's right. backyard. And basically Hayes sends out federal troops and they open well, fire and they yep. kill 10 individuals, including a young boy. And, and you read this and it was all over the newspapers at the time, but you felt like social media. Can you imagine if social media had been around and people were standing around with their cell phones recording federal troups opening fire? Uh, could have been different. A lot different. You know, the reaction of the American people wouldn't have stood for that. Most no, likely. And no. It's, uh, Hayes was um, – he, he, he committed to only serving one term. Yes, he did. And then um, – from what I understand, that that the only place he's been revered is in Paraguay, <laughs> because uh, while he was president, he mediated a dispute, a land dispute between Paraguay and Argentina in favor of Paraguay, and so they 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 revere him down there in Paraguay for his actions there. Is Rutherford a popular name down there now? I don't know. I'm I don't, curious. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't, yeah. But. Um, another interesting thing about uh, Hayes is is his faith, because yeah. it's it's hard to tell. A lot about his faith. It's, it's very checkered. One of the reasons probably is because of his background. So he doesn't have a father growing up. That's true. His father dies before his birth. Father, uh, I think it's like 11 weeks before he's born, yeah. something like that. His mom is devout as a follower, but also just has really bad theology. She basically thinks that God's angry with her about everything. That's why tragedy happens. So Rutherford B. Hayes has one older brother and one sister. His older brother dies in a tragic ice skating accident. When he's young, they both fall in, the, in, in, mm. in his frozen pond. His brother dies. He, he lives, but has some affected health, supposedly from this. His mother basically thinks that God was judging Hayes and himself and herself for the death of her brother. So it really kind of messes with him psychologically. Wow. Um, he loves the Lord. He, he, he loves uh, reading the Bible. He opened every cabinet meeting with prayer. He did. That's true. And with scripture yes. reading. Um, every Sunday night, he would invite members of Congress over to his house and he and Lucy, his wife, would sing hymns around the piano and pray together. He seems to be a very devout man, but then in his own words, he said, I, I, I don't subscribe to any one church, any one creed. I don't know if I'm a Christian, but I want to be a Christian, basically. Yeah, I read that, yeah. And, that, you know, I'm, I'm reminded of what was it, the uh, the letter of the, uh, Paul to, to, to Sardis in, in the book, you know, you know you're know, you lukewarm. Oh, Laodicea, yes. Yeah, yeah, Laodicea, yes, Laodicea, the church of yeah, Laodicea. Yeah, yeah. 
and, and, yes. and, and I think that's what he was. He was lukewarm. He couldn't do one side or the other, yeah. even though he would try to go through the motions. Yes, yes. He was, again, he, he, he seems so devout at times, but then at the same time, he's just very unsure of, of himself. Yeah. I, I did write this, uh, this quote down that he said. He said, the religion of the Bible is the best in the world. I see the infinite value of religion. So it's, it's so important to him. It's so real to him. But then it's like this outside kind of religion over here. It's not necessarily a relationship. Right. It's very different. Yeah. Um, he has an amazing relationship with his wife. I, I, I wrote this down from, from, his, from his, his diary. I thought this was, this was really good. Uh, this is two months after his marriage. Almost two months married. The great step of life which makes or mars the whole journey. I like that, by the way. Mm has been happily taken. The dear friend, speaking of his wife, who is to share with me the joys and ills of our earthly being, grows steadily nearer and dearer to me. A better wife I never hope to have. Our little differences and points of taste or preference are readily adjusted, and judging by the past, I do not see how our tender and affectionate relationship can be disturbed by any jar. She bears with my innocent peculiarities so kindly so loving, is so studious in providing for my little wants, is short, so true a wife that I cannot think it possible that any shadow of disappointment will ever cloud the prospect save only such calamities as are the common allotment of providence to all. Let me strive to be as true to her as she is to me. Wow. And they have an amazing marriage. And their letters, it reminds me of Adams and how yeah, Adams yeah, had the letters yeah, back and forth. Adam, yeah. If you Adam ever John, if you yeah. ever read through their letters, they're just they're they're really good back and forth. And you can tell she really heavily influenced him. She's also the first who starts the um, Easter egg tradition at the White House. I did not know that. Yeah. So it used to be at um at, at, on the Capitol Hill. Yeah. Uh, and then of course leave it to Congress. They don't let kids do that anymore. No. No, of course not. So um Lucy Hayes is basically angry about that and she opens up the White House lawn for this, and it becomes the tradition then. Uh, that's carried out, yeah, of course, to this day. Still today, yes. Um, so she becomes kind of the remarkable first lady. There's a few first ladies that redefine the role, I mean, like Do- Dolly Madison, mm-hmm. um, Lady Bird Johnson. Um, True. And I think if you think about these different individuals, yeah. I-, I would have to definitely say uh, that Mrs. Hayes, that Lucy Hayes would be top in that, that list. That's good. I'm going to give you one quote. You can, you, can, you can give me your thought on this. This is, this is Hayes speaking, Rutherford B. Hayes. Nothing brings out the lowest traits of human nature like office-seeking. Men of good character and impulses are betrayed by it to all sorts of meanness. I think there's a tremendous truth in that. Yeah. You know, I, I think that, that, that you have to, uh, if you're seeking an office, you really have to do some introspective analysis of, of the purpose of, of doing it. Is yes. it, is it, you know, is it for you? Is it for, is it for the greater good? Is it for the glory of God? Why are you mm-hmm. doing this? And, and, you know, with a title comes certain, you know, Elements of power, and and as we know that you know, uh, power can be very corrupting, and 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 so it's 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 a difficult thing. But but that's that's the trust that we give. That's right. It's the trust that we have to give that's if right. we're going to have a representative form of democracy. That's right. Because we elect these people to represent us, which we 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 demand that they be good stewards. Mm-hmm. But the accountability of their actions is something that we wrestle with all the time. Yes. And 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 why people run for office is 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 a wide spectrum of reasons. 
Uh, and it's hard to find. I think that's one of the things that's been interesting about our podcast is that is that why do these people become the office holders that they do at the time of American history, and what were their motives? That's good. And you know, and you look at Rutherford B. Hayes. You know, he was the he put the end of Reconstruction, which started, you know, a, a terrible run of, of civil rights abuses absolutely. for well over uh, uh, almost hundred years. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. One of the things he wanted for presidential reform, I found really interesting, you can tell me your thoughts on this, is he believed that the president should only be allowed one term, but that one term should be six years. And his thought process behind this was is that the back two years of your first term is nothing but just re-election anyway. And if a president was only allowed a one term, but it was a six-year term so you could get more done, he said the presidential office would be much more effective. Yes and no, uh, because you become a lame duck, uh, uh, you know, immediately mm -hmm. after getting elected. And when that happens, then people start looking at the, who's going to be the successor. Interesting. And 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 I think you've got to, you know, the good thing about having the opportunity for a reelection is it gives you continues to allow you leverage to do certain things uh, and to negotiate with others. If you're only serving one term, you know, I think uh, Virginia has a one term. Governor, uh, yeah, they do okay. every four years, and, and and I just don't think that's I, I don't think that's healthy. Uh, I think that it it it's more of a popularity contest, and then boom, who do we see? We want to get in the next. Now, granted, on their second term as it is now, that happens anyway, uh, but you also I think govern differently. That makes sense. The second, in, in some ways, the reelection is political leverage on both sides. Right. You could spend four years developing a game plan to be implemented if you get elected the next four years. Mm. And, and, and I think that, that, that that's a healthy thing for the, for the process. If you're elected for only six years, y you know, you, you, might not, you might just be a placeholder for six years. That's good. So That's interesting. Well, this is Rutherford B. Hayes. As we said, there's not much to say about him necessarily. However, but the election of 1876. The election of 1876. And we said this before. We have to say this again. Our form of government has survived scandal, voting fraud, stolen elections. Mm -hmm. Not only has it survived, it's thrived. Yes. The American, despite what the media says, despite what your crazy uncle on Facebook says, the American <laughs> government's not going to fall because there was possible mistakes that have taken place. The American sure. form of government will continue to thrive and survive. Yep. It's done it in the past. It can still do it. So I think sometimes what people need to hear is just exhale is going to be okay. Yes. Yes, it's the resiliency of the people. Yes, and the resiliency of our founding. So this has been Presidents in Politics, and uh, thank you for listening. Thank you.